Hello, OSU Beavers, Lynn Benton Roadrunners, and any other guests. Welcome to another episode of the Chi Alpha After Hours podcast, where we take a closer look at what it means to follow Jesus on the college campus and beyond. This week, we are addressing another very relevant topic. At our Friday night fellowship gatherings at pretty much any church you attend, you'll often begin with participating in something called worship. But what is it? What's going on when we worship? How do we do it well? And does it really matter? Does it actually make a difference? Your hosts, Anna, Nathan, and Christian are excited to dive into this topic with you and hopefully help paint a picture of what worship is all about. Uh, So first question is, what does worship look like in the Bible and what does it do? There's all kinds of images for um, like worshiping in the Bible. Um, you know, sometimes people sing, sometimes they pray, sometimes people worship in silence. Sometimes worship is just being obedient. But the most often image of worship in the Bible is killing of bulls <laughs> <laughs> and like taking them to the temple and offering them as a sacrifice, right? So like uh-huh. the butchering of animals. So, so um, sad. this is <laughs> so just so the listeners know, like the entire time he was doing that, like talk, he just has this little grin on his face <laughs> being like, I know where this is going. But yes, there's a lot of bull killing well, and, and little birds and birds and little birds and goats. Oh, um, are there? Yeah, oh, yeah, pigeons, or pigeons, oh. doves, flower, you know, so flower. Like you can, if you were really poor, you could do like just oh, like, a thought right. of flower or something. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah. So, but the main point is like of all these images of is that there's a sense of like, um, like offering something mm-hmm. to God. That, and I think that's what the as, as silly as it is because we don't, you know, wouldn't that be crazy if you show up on Sunday and it's like. All right, who's going to kill the bull this week? You know, like that was a part of our thing again. But like, um, but really, it was about giving. It was about like that we we're presenting something to God. That we are thankful. Like we're we're saying like thank you. Like we're giving back something that God has given to us out of a thankfulness and recognizing like He is the one who has provided these things for us. And so it's us being thankful. And so um, there's a sense of giving, like worship has a sense of mm-hmm. presenting something to the Lord out of a thankfulness and, and a worthiness, like he has the worthiness to receive um, the things that, that we're giving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the last podcast, we talked about calling, how God um, calls us to himself and when I think about worship, I think about, man, if God is calling me to himself, what do I do? I can imagine myself sitting in awe. When I think of like spending time with God, the image I get is like I'm at like the peak of a mountain, which is ironic because I'm super afraid of heights. But when you're in the Lord's presence, hopefully your fears go away and um, there's there's just there's good there and there's peace there. Um, but there's just um, being being in God's presence is is what He invites us into. But like, what I think I think the question is like, what what do you do there when you're in His presence? And I think worship is something that throughout the Bible 
is very common to see. And um, I think, yeah, it looks it looked a lot like in the Old Testament, like it was something God asked for. But I think it's because um, he knew, God knew that that was something that uh, the Israelites um, or people in the Bible needed to do is to to bring him something to remember him, to remember. I was just reading in Exodus this morning how they were supposed to bring money offerings to the Lord um, in order to um, remember them and ask for atonement of their of their sins. Mm-hmm. Um, so there is, I think with worship, there is this element of, oh, this is something beautiful, this is something powerful, it's something emotional, it's something of like, man, doing our best to look God um, face to face or to feel his presence. Um, but then there's this other aspect of it of like, when we worship, we are remembering um, our place and we're remembering who God is, and um, as Christian was saying, we're, we're remembering what he, what He's given us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of aside from sacrificing animals, there's a lot of <clears throat> other things that are recognized as worship in the Bible, and it's actually a much wider spectrum. Um, there's the obvious things like songs, you know, there's singing and things like that in the Bible. There's dance. Um, there's, uh, dance, um, oh shoot, I had another one written down. Um, oh, the Psalms, which admittedly are a song, but they're also like, we read them as poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I think obedience actually, while it's, I don't know if it's ever explicitly said as worship, is it Christian? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Obedience is an act of worship to the Lord. There's a very, very wide range of things and I'm sure Anna and Christian can think of others, but there's a very wide range of things in our culture. We often think, oh, worship on Sunday is stand there and sing some, some words. And it's, um, which is, it's, I think the reason we do singing is because in our culture, it's just easily facilitated. It's pretty easily facilitated. It's easily understood by a large group of people. But there's also, there's just a lot of other things to it than that. The other thing that I think is really important to recognize is that David, in one of his Psalms, I don't remember which one, he says, you are not uh, honored by sacrifices, but by a humble and contrite heart. Mm -hmm. And really what is that emphasizing? It's actually the attitude in which one does worship that is worship. Mm -hmm. So one thing that Jesus... um, This is actually a reference to the Old Testament, but Jesus brings it up in his gospel story. He accuses the Pharisees essentially by saying, they honor me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Mm -hmm. And so there's this idea of like, oh, yes, see, the Pharisees are like, oh, see, we worship him. Like we say the words, we we know all the stuff, Mm -hmm. we say everything exactly right. And he's like, but your heart is far from me. Mm -hmm. And so the worship is worthless. Mm -hmm. And... um, I think one thing that's interesting about the question, though, that um, Anna brings up, and she's, uh, it was, we kind of touched on this uh, yesterday, is that, um, you know, what does worship do? You know, and we need to like really remove 
like our cultural mentality of like, oh, well, there should be a result mm -hmm. of this. There should mm -hmm. be some accomplishment or some gain on my part. Actually, worship is not about the giver. It's about who's being given to. Mm -hmm. It's an other-oriented activity. Um, it's not, you know, this happens to me all the time. Like sometimes worship music, I'm just like, I'm just not feeling it. I was like, well, it's not about you. Mm -hmm. It's like, can you, can't, like, you know, I'm just not feeling it. It's like, well, Nathan, humble yourself, put your heart in the right place and just give, even if you don't feel like it. Uh, not begrudgingly, but like, you know, like it's understandable that you don't feel it. Mm -hmm. You know, we pick the songs actually at Chi Alpha very often because of what they say. And it's trying to help us understand and speak into something. Whereas some church communities, they pick songs because they amp up the experience for the worshiper. Mm -hmm. And it's like, well, no, it's not about the worshiper actually it's about who's being worshiped and so we try to pick songs that help us oh who is god what is god yeah. mm -hmm. and some of those songs can be awkward mm -hmm. some of them can be awkward mm -hmm. but some of them but they do remind us about who he is yeah. and so um and god calls us to worship him in ways that are uncomfortable for us so like mm -hmm. last week we talked about calling God can call us, and in our calling, we can worship him. And sometimes where he calls us, it's very uncomfortable. But it's still worship, even if it's uncomfortable for us. In fact, it's probably a more faithful offering and a more genuine or a more, I don't know. There, there's just a de there's a unique value, I think, to giving out of genuine, like, this hurts. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's more Christ-like in some ways. It's, it's a like, sacrifice. It's a sacrifice mm -hmm. similar to Jesus's sacrifice mm -hmm. for us. Mm -hmm. It hurts, and but it's other-oriented. It hurts, but I give it because it's other-oriented. It's what the other needs. It's what the other desires. Yeah, I, I think with that too, like we have this, like, like you know, you asked, like, what is it? You, you, you know, you brought up the question, what does it do? And I think we get so often, like, in American culture, we're very transactional. Yeah. Mm. Like, if I give this, then I'll get this. And, you know, you actually see that in the Old Testament between Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are arguably the first moment where we see, like, a worship experience where, mm. you know, Cain offers some of his fruits, but Abel offers the best of his first fruits. And God looks on Abel's sacrifice with uh, pleasure, and Cain's is not accepted. And... Really, it's because you know Abel brought his best, and um, and the best. It it's not that God needs this great offering to be fed, or He needs it, but it's about that heart. You know, you mm -hmm. talked about like that that idea of obedience, like in the Old Testament, it, and Jesus quotes it. He quotes it as saying, "Like I desire mercy, not sacrifice." In the Old Testament, um, like that's kind of the Greek translation of it, but the like original Hebrew is like, um, you could argue, like the word faithfulness and mercy is like, uh, it's like there's this weird translation thing between Hebrew and Greek. So in the old days, they translated that word faithfulness into mercy. And that's why it's like that in the New Testament. It's just a weird thing. I, I can't get into it too much. But the original word in the Old Testament is hesed, 
chesed, which means faithfulness. So God says like, so when he says it in Hosea, it says, Mm -hmm. I desire faithfulness, not sacrifice. And so, but like the ancient world kind of looked at it as like our ability to be faithful. God is a mercy. Mm -hmm. So then it got translated as mercy Mm -hmm. instead of faithfulness. So, but, but the idea is like that Abel's sacrifice represents a faithfulness that Abel has towards God. It isn't like the actual stuff. It's like because mm-hmm. he's making room and he's giving something of su- substance, he's showing a faithfulness towards God. And you know, in our in our modern world, like you know, Abel's faithfulness, he didn't he wasn't faithful so he could get a better harvest next year. That's why Cain sacrificed his stuff. He's like, if I don't, then God's going to smite me, whatever. Mm-hmm. I need to appease God if I want to keep doing well. Um, mm-hmm. But like Abel didn't have that attitude. His attitude mm-hmm. was God's worth this. I just need to give this to him. And it's hard in our modern culture to find an example of that because mm-hmm. we're so transactional. And the best image I have is like of a football game which is like, that's weird football, you know, but like, um, I'm from Washington and in Washington, like people are crazy fanatic Seahawk fans. Go Seahawks. There it is right there. So, um, they're crazy fanatical Seahawk fans. And so every Friday people wear their Seahawks jerseys in the fall. Um, people go and they spend crazy hundreds of dollars to get these seats mm-hmm. and then to pay for over expensive food. They'll go every, if you watch the football game just in your own home, it's like four hours of your time, you know, like it's a big experience. And I've never had a Seahawk fan ever complain to me about the amount of time they spent watching the Seahawks, mm. how much money it cost. They were like, I had to go on a Sunday to go watch a Seahawks game. Mm-hmm. Uh, like they never do that because the Seahawk fans are just excited to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. They're just like, I love the Seahawks. I just want to be a part of it. I don't care if I have to pay something for me to buy a jersey. That's like an honor. You know, it's like a joy. It's the way they interpret it. And that's the kind of worship. Like I'm not calling football fans idolatrous anything. I'm not doing that because I'm a Seahawk fan, you know. But but I think that 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 idea, it's the best analogy we have of like, like when we go to worship, there should just be a thankfulness that we get to be a part of God's plan. We get to be a part of God's family. And I want to give out of a thankfulness. Like I'm just so thankful and I, I want to bring my offerings. I want to, I, I, I'm, I just want to be a part of this and I want to give God his worth and his value um, because it's just a, such a joy for me to be in it. Something that's, something that's interesting. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But something interesting about the Cain and Abel story is that it's before any laws were made about sacrifices. That's right. And so Cain and Abel both recognize that there is this God and that part of being in a relationship with God and probably they understood just relationships in general, part of being in a relationship is giving and both of them recognized that they had been given something. Mm-hmm. And they probably knew from their father, Adam, and their mother, Eve, that when God made the world, he made it good. And so they were like, wow, God gave us good things. Well, Abel decided, well, I'm going to give the most good thing that I have. 
not transactionally, but because there was perhaps some love, a very deep affection, and a very deep understanding is like, wow, God has given me good things. And why would I give him something that's not good, not the best thing? You know, maybe he saw all the, like he saw all the things that he could give and he was like, well, they're all good because God gave them to me. But this one is, these are the, the most good that I have. Whereas Cain was like, well, I'm going to honor this relationship by giving something a little less mm-hmm. than I think we can all relate. I think many of us can relate to feeling like a friend or a parent is just not giving us that good of stuff. And we kind of feel unappreciated in the relationship. And the thing that's important, I would also say this about Cain and Abel. It's while God didn't receive the offering Cain gave, there wasn't no relationship anymore. God still speaks to Cain. God God actually says, like, why are you so down? Uh, I can't remember the exact, but it's like, why are you like this? Just do what's d- right. Do what's right. Continue doing what's right. Don't. Don't get, I think, it, don't get envious or the sin is crouching at the door. I, I'm sorry, guys. I'm trying to quote this from memory. Um, but there's like this level of like, I haven't left you. I'm still good and I still give yeah. good things. Can I nerd on that for a second? I'm Go sorry. I don't, I don't know if you got something to say. No, but I'm fine. just like nerding out on this. So like in our West, like talking about gifts and stuff like in the, in the, in, in Western culture, in, in America in particular, it's like we believe in like f- like gifts that are about like unattached statements of value. That's what a gift is. So like Christmas, like we don't give a gift. Like I don't give my gifts at Christmas thinking, oh, I'm going to give a really great gift so I can get something really good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? That's weird, right? And we also don't think I'm going to give this gift so that like this person will be more, my friend more. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we believe in like, this is just, I want to bless you. I don't want anything back. It's almost like relationally disattached. It's Mm -hmm. like, it's just a statement of, I want to bless. I don't need anything back from you. Like there's kind of this, like, it's from me to you. And the idea there is it's selfless and it's not Mm -hmm. like, we're not like imposing a like response, Mm -hmm. right? That's the the good part of it. But um, in a lot of, other cultures in the world, in Jesus's culture, like if you show up somewhere in a village, like say you're new, your neighbor might come and they might give you a gift. Now they're expecting you to like bring them a gift in the next week or something like that. Now that sounds like a little weird to us. It sounds like what they're giving a gift in expectation of getting something. But the point is, is that the gift in the first place is a statement of, I want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. So the reciprocation of the gift mm-hmm. is about friendship. Mm-hmm. So if you don't show up, if you don't reciprocate <clears throat> the gift, it means it's not, I didn't like your gift. Mm-hmm. It's, I don't want to be your friend. Mm-hmm. That's just a way that they, and, it, and this would be true in Jesus's day. And so when you think about it, like God gave us the gift of his son. Mm-hmm. Now, like if we just moved into town and God gave the gift of his son, 
now it's our place to reciprocate if we want to be his friend mm -hmm. to give ourselves yeah you know and that's the way that the ancient world like they wouldn't have thought oh god oh he gave us this great gift now that shows he loves me a lot like implicitly in the culture it was spoken in that kind of gift language would have meant oh i if i want to be god's friend i need to reciprocate mm -hmm. with a gift in kind which would be like my own life mm -hmm. so like um so you know when we think about worshiping especially in this kind of ancient culture like like all this idea of like like what abel gave it's like he's recognizing god has gifted him and I need to reciprocate, not not to earn his friendship. It's a more of a statement of, yeah, I see him as a friend. I want mm -hmm. to be a friend. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? So there's this relational warmth, especially when we talk about gifting in the Bible, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty foreign for mm -hmm. for us. I think like something I would add to that, like there, you know, we're we we just said like you know it's not transactional like worship is not transactional and the example they gave it almost seems transactional but it's more like a formality and like this is this is how you start friendships you know in our culture it's like go get coffee with someone it's yeah. spend time with someone in their culture it's like no we 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 give gifts so it's not it's we do the same thing just in a different way yeah um, but it can turn into something transactional. Yeah, okay. One thing that's different about American culture, I would say, is that we often give gifts and sort of, I would say, very much much the time, this is my feeling, this is my feeling, we often give gifts and it's like, oh, we met the social expectation. See, I was generous. I was kind. Some of the, uh, I have a friend named Taylor. She is one of the few people that gives amazing gifts to me like really good shout out to taylor and like she paint she we'd been friends for a number of years and she's like nathan i've never i've never painted you a painting before and she painted this painting it sits above my desk and i'm like this is one of the most amazing things i've ever i it's amazing it's just this amazing little painting and we talked about it later and it was just so thoughtful and she's like she knows something about me and she's like this is the kind of thing that nathan would like this is what the lord is leading me to give and like there's this generosity in in that get type of giving it's like i don't want anything back she never she wanted a thank you maybe <laughs> but she didn't expect a gift in return she was excited she wanted to give something generously which is something our culture kind of has a mentality of it's like oh yeah we just give gifts we're we're generous in this way but here's the interesting thing, is that Abel, though it was transactional, in, a, in the way we're thinking of transactional, like, not it's not transactional, sorry. Like, I'm not trying to undermine what Christian said. But, like, Abel, I think, thought, it's like, what is it that would, like, the Lord would be thankful to have? And so there's this combination of like, oh, yes, God has started by giving first. And so I need to give back. But I need to think about like him and what is he going to appreciate? Mm -hmm. Our culture, who gives very generously in a lot of cases, isn't necessarily always considering of like, what is it that excites the other person? What's going to, what are they really deep down going to appreciate? And so um, it's just a very, very 
it's there's good things in both cultures potentially mm-hmm. like that that you know i give a gift and i expect one back it can become very for there can be a formality and it can be very unintentional it can be like oh yes i'm supposed to give a gift could be tra- transactional could be transactional yeah. things like that and ours it's like oh yeah it could be very generous but it could also be very thoughtless and it can just be like a social expectation all the same in the other like in the other situation it's just like oh that's what your neighbor does they give you a gift so yeah um something that's really exciting about scripture is it talks about um how we how when someone gives a gift you give it generously or to give generously um but what's interesting is that worship actually isn't listed as a spiritual gift Mm -hmm. And I think that's important, very important to note, and here's why. I think it's because we're all meant to do it, and I think it goes as far as we were all created to do it. It goes back to Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel. They they knew, they, they just were likely compelled to give back to God, and um, it's something that's throughout Scripture— so there's this scripture that talks about um, if there is uh, a father, like, why, why would he not give his child good gifts? And um, I was thinking about uh, Nathan's friend Taylor and how he gave her such, gave her, gave him, excuse she me. She gave me. She gave Nathan such a beautiful gift. And when she did that, it was very quiet. She was likely quiet about it. She probably made it, maybe listened to some nice music while she was worshiping and like maybe maybe she was worshiping while she was painting but even when she gave it to Nathan it was a very quiet offering to him offering maybe of love of friendship and um, I remember Jesus in scripture I think he's talking to the Pharisees and he says don't pray or maybe don't worship loudly in the streets so people see that you are praying but actually do it in the quiet of your home. And so I think when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, okay, sometimes worship, like when you go to a church, like sometimes worship is really loud. And I think there's definitely a place for that. The Psalms are like, yep, there's this really loud worship. Um, but sometimes worship and like giving a gift is is quiet and it's, it's gentle. Um, and I think about like, in the Bible, God gives gifts really loudly. Like he gave the Israelites a gift of opening up the ocean so they could walk through the Red Sea. I'm like, man, that was probably a pretty like loud gift mm-hmm. he gave them. Um, but then there's those whispers um, in Scripture that that God speaks, or just the little just the little things that He does um, that that made people feel seen. Like the woman who crawled up to Jesus's the hem of his robe and just lightly touched the hem of his robe and she was completely healed. That was a very quiet thing that the, that the Lord did. And so I think in what I'm trying to say there is sometimes worship can be quiet. It made me think of Johanna's story a couple weeks ago when she was preaching, when she was saying that she was at a church service and everyone else was being super loud and someone and worshiping and just having blast worshiping and someone was trying to drag her up to the front to dance with her and Johanna's like actually 
I feel like the Lord is calling me to be quiet and just to sit in front of him. And so what I'm trying to get there is worship can look different in different circumstances. It can be loud and it can be quiet. Yeah. Great. So I think that leads us into our next question pretty well. Um, what's the difference between worshiping communally or in a community with other people versus worshiping privately? I think a big difference I see is uh, worshiping communally can be really encouraging uh, to those around us. Um, I know for me, when I go to our local church, King Circle, here in town, I'm really encouraged to see pe- other people worshiping. Um, I'm encouraged to see that other people are, are put, trying to do their best to put God above themselves. Um, to say, God, you're worth this gift. Um, I think it also is is showing that man, we're all we're all Christians and we're all coming together, and all of us together are saying, God is better than what we have going on here. God is better than how good our worship is. God is better than how good the sermon is. Like, God is higher and greater. Um, and so I, I wonder if that's why churches start with worship, um, is to help the congregation get to that heart posture. Um, and then worshiping privately, um, I think that can also be, like what I was saying earlier, like it can also be loud and rambunctious and fun um, and just like being excited to be with God and being excited to be in his presence. But I think it can also be quiet. Um, and so I really think there's a beauty in both. And I, I think there's this perception, I think especially in our culture right now, that worship is going to church on Sunday and singing the songs. And I think what I'm trying to encourage everyone listening with is that worship actually starts in private. Mm-hmm. And we can't worship well um, in a group setting if we don't worship in private. And I think what that really starts with is asking God who he is, asking God to reveal himself to us and um, to ask him to help us um, think less about ourselves. Yeah, I mean, I think I think what, what you're saying, Anna, too, is like when we think, if we say worship is fundamentally when we come together on a Sunday and sing some songs— I think what ends up happening there is we end up depending on the vibrancy of our relationship between God being played out in the community with other people. Like, Mm -hmm. essentially, like, oh, if worship is just when I sing songs on Sunday, then that's the primary place where I'm going to connect with God. And and just in those that same um, thing that Anna brought up earlier, just that that idea that like. God says to the Pharisees, don't pray in public, but go to your room where you're seen in secret. It's in Matthew 6. Mm-hmm. Um, I encourage everybody to look at it. It's about prayer in particular, but mm-hmm. the, the point is the same, is the idea that like God actually wants to be, for each one of us, the God in secret. Like that, that he's ministering to our hearts personally, mm-hmm. and that 
you know, we're not leaning on that corporate time. Like even that corporate time is going to build us up. It's going to mm-hmm. be essential. And being with other people, oh man, that's like, I mean, that's part of, that's part of the way God made us is to, so it's definitely a part of what we need to be doing and, and what is good for us. But fundamentally, we need to be a people that have a vibrant relationship with God, worshiping with him in secret. And so one of the differences between personal and corporate worship is like I'm listening to God for me in my private worship or my prayer time like or I'm I'm personally want to lift up the Lord but if I'm not doing that privately then I'm in danger of my whole life my whole life with God being tainted with like I'm just worshiping to appease like to show other people I have a good relationship with God mm, yeah mm-hmm. But if there's this vibrant undertoning, mm-hmm. then if I have this underlining life of worship before the Lord, then I can come to a Sunday and I can contribute. I can have an earnest worship experience with God. I know it's not fake. It's not just prompted by the what other people see. But I know it's real because it's I, it, I'm worshiping God in secret. But then I come with that assurance and with that knowledge and with that that sense of like, yeah, I'm I'm I follow Jesus and I can come and I can honestly worship him and I can also worship him to help encourage other people. And um and I even think like how we sing now. We sing singing is such an amazing thing that it's like one of the few things that we can all do together at the same time. Like we can all sing, we can all join and make one note. That's that's kind of a crazy thing. Like it's a place where we can be in different places, but do something unified. And um, so that's, that's pretty amazing. Really in the same vein, I think all three of us came up with the same idea basically independently of one another, which is, mm-hmm. and I was going to say all worship is private on some level. Mm-hmm. So like going back to what David says of like, you know, you sacrifices don't please you, but a humble, but rather a humble and contrite heart. A humble and contrite heart is like something private even when you're in a communal setting, like you having a humble and contrite heart is only something you know if you have. It's only something you know if you've actually like are worshiping out of. Um, the difference with, I think, a communal relationship or a communal worship is there's an opportunity. I think if we if we express communal worship as singing together I think that's actually a very very narrow idea of like communal worship like I so for our um, Corfa or our resource team our resource team a month ago we did spiritual listening instead of doing musical worship which is essentially sitting down and each person listening to the Lord for other people at the table and seeing if he has anything to say to them that is a form of worship. It's listening to the Lord and asking him to give us something to tell the other. And that is communal worship, I would say. But I assure you, like it's nine times out of 10, 199 times out of 100, whatever, like the person that hears something is the one that's like really developed that private worship that interior heart that really can hear him and respond, not just not just um, 
and I'm really not trying to cast musical worship in a community in a bad light, but not just like read and sing the words on the screen. Mm-hmm. Like, is it? And, and so I really think that like in some ways, like our devotion time, our personal devotion time is perhaps like one of the most cultivating spaces of that worshipful heart because it's something that no one sees you doing it's something that's just between you and him and i think our devotional time is a time of worship as well and so the uh, and one last thing i think that's important about communal worship is that i think it's a i think it's possible that like in the worship like even in the in uh in the musical setting like the musical worship setting I think that there's a camaraderie that can build, actually. There's, like, brother and sisterhood that can build. And, like, hey, we we have all endeavored together to one purpose. Mm-hmm. And we can we are in this moment standing together looking at the same God, same person, and all together saying with one voice, he is beautiful and worthy of praise. Mm-hmm. And we love him. Yeah. And in that, that is such a powerful and unique setting to feel like I'm not alone in calling the same, per- this God beautiful and wonderful and worthy of praise. Mm-hmm. In a world where it's very isolating and we have to worship him in our own private heart amidst a world that really, really hates him a lot of the time, it can be really restful to be like, I'm not alone in my love of him. And it can just be really reinforcing. And like the and the, 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 the Lord gave us the church, the community of believers to help us in the pursuit of him and in the pursuit of serving him. One of the things I actually heard about mass some years ago, like the, the concept of mass, Catholic mass, was actually to be a place to strengthen so that they could send out the Christians. At least at one time that was the conception. I don't know if that's really held much anymore. I don't go to mass very often, so I couldn't really tell you. But um, but there's this idea like we come together as a community of believers so that we can be strong enough to go out and be on mission. It's really hard to do the mission alone sometimes. So um, I also think, you know, just like connected to that too, I mean, I want to kind of go back to the killing of the bulls you know so like <laughs> i want to go back to that so like you know um back in ancient israel i mean worship wasn't only like i think we've said in the ancient israel wasn't just the sacrifice of animals it was a bunch of other things and they really did when it comes down to it like god really said it is about the interior of your heart too even in the old testament but like um but interestingly enough when it comes to the sacrifice there was an individual component and a communal component also. So like you would go and sacrifice for your own individual, like unintentional sins, or you would, um, if you had a your first child, you would go and redeem your first child with a sacrifice. It, it was a way of, like we were saying, to say, thank you, God, for the gift that you've given me, you know? So, so sacrificing for personal things was very much a part of the Old Testament. Um, but then they also had these communal times where they would sacrifice bulls as a community for the communal sin of all of Israel or to say thank you communally for God delivering them out of Egypt. Mm-hmm. So um, 
and I think the main thing that I want to point there is we don't do that anymore. We don't sacrifice bulls. And it's not just because it's like gross or it's like, I don't want to, you know, we're not agricultural anymore. The, there's a real strong theological reason why we don't do that. And it's because Jesus is mm-hmm. the final sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, and we, if we think about that in individual terms, we no longer individually sacrifice bulls because Jesus, for our own sins or for our own gifts that we've given, because Jesus is that once and for all sacrifice. So what is left for us to do individually is to live a life of worship and gratefulness to God for this great gift. We can never give anything greater. And and in fact, it often talks that we are supposed to be living sacrifices, like our whole life is supposed to be out of a thankful giving back to God. Mm-hmm. Um, but then when we think about that communally, like all of a sudden when we get together, like not only are we praising God for our own individual salvation, but Jesus has redeemed the whole world. He's redeemed the whole universe. Colossians, you know, it says that he is making the whole of creation, the whole cosmos new. And, um, and that we can, we, we're also praising God for the ways that he's redeeming people, that, that he's, he's going to redeem people that are going to come to know him, or that we're praising God for my brother or sister that is now freed. Like, yeah. it's not just an expression of my own personal thankfulness, but we come mm. together to, to just praise the Lord for the gift in this of like how his salvation is like overcoming all. And we don't need to give sacrifices for the sin of our churches, like, or for the sin of the Christian church or King circle, whatever, but we come and praise because he is the one who mm-hmm. sacrificed and made it good for our communities. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's just an idea. And also that's why we don't sacrifice bulls anymore. So there you go. Good to know. Good to know. Yeah, I thought I had was, um, you know, as a worship leader, um, for those who don't, who don't know, um, I'm the main worship leader um, for our fellowship. And I've been doing that off and on since I was 16, leading worship. And I think something that came to mind when Christian and Nathan were talking was that I, as a worship leader, need to worship with my whole life. And... Um, I think that's what we as followers of Jesus are gifted to do. Like it's, it's like a gift that we get to do that. Um, it's also like a sacrifice, but something that I'm really trying to teach my worship team is that being on a worship team and being a worshiper of God is saying that I'm just I'm not just wanting to worship with my instrument. I'm wanting to worship God with my whole life. And um, as soon as if I if I can speak for people that are a little bit more upfront for a second, like uh, for my worship team or or those listening who have ever had upfront roles, um, uh, that it's really easy to focus on the self when you're in those situations. Um, And so I think that is one reason why like worshiping privately or worshiping by yourself is so important is so that when you get into those situations where you're more seen, um, 
you've met the Lord and you know who you actually who you actually are and how small you actually are compared to Him, and you've spent that time dwelling on His goodness and um, just being in awe of His grandeur. Um, I think that's really important. So I think this is a really important question. Um, what if you're a Jesus follower, but you don't feel like worshiping? Um, I would say that Jesus didn't feel like dying on the cross. <laughs> and he did it anyway. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, like, I'm not trying to be facetious or anything like that, but, like, genuinely, like, I think the Bible is very clear that people express, like, a degree of, like, I don't want to do this. Even Jesus expresses, I don't want to do this, but he holds Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, holds to, it's like, I know the desire of my Father in heaven, and my relationship with him is more important, Mm -hmm. and that he's asking me right now to do something, to give something that's really difficult and hard and I'm not going to really enjoy the experience it doesn't mean he didn't at some level want to but yes he just emotionally yeah yeah okay that's probably probably physically didn't want to didn't want to yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean he's sweating drops of blood that's that's there's a lot of resistance he's asking he's asking for yeah to be different Mm -hmm. a different way yeah the the thing while while there's like a conflicting desire conflicting desires a desire to serve the father to to give what the lord what his father in heaven had asked him and a desire to not endure it um jesus ultimately comes into greater perfection and greater fullness of purpose and greater um honor because he does sacrifice what he wants, despite sacrifices that desire to not endure. And so, like, we, we, like, the death of Christ is an act of worship, was an act of worship. And we are actively, as Christians, trying to um, imitate that same sacrifice in all circumstances including worship and so it's like well i don't really want to worship you know well well like the lord the lord taught teaches us like it's not always it's not about us Mm -hmm. it's about it's about the one that we're giving to and i've known i've known some people that you know i've known and heard many stories of people that like they they're, yeah, sorry. I think I'm going to get on a rabbit trail, so we're just not going to go there. <laughs> well, so, just, a, just a comment really quick. I, I like Back to the bulls again. I don't think anyone thinks like, oh, man, I just can't wait to go to the temple and just kill that bull. Hmm. Like, be- you know my, what I mean? Like my, Possibly my best bull. Yeah, I'm like, oh, yeah, I just love that feeling that yeah. I get when I just <laughs> kill that animal. The rush. Stop looking at me. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, I mean, I, I, that would be kind of sadistic, 
But the point, it is like. It would be sadistic. It would be sadistic. <laughs> and that's not, God doesn't want us to be sadistic, but it's like, it's a, it's a, it, it's worship is about the giving mm-hmm. and it isn't necessarily about the feeling. I mean, I don't think people think mm-hmm. emotionality it, when they think I mean, about killing those animals, you know? It's, I mean, it's a, worship is about prioritizing the, the, uh, the joy of the other when they are given the thing. Yeah. Rather than like the the cost it is to the person giving, so like with Cain and Abel, Abel is very much like, oh man, I, I it's going to bring so much joy to this God who gave all these things to me if I give this, and that's why I'm giving it. Right. And I do think that once I do think we can develop a sense of like strength from like the joy that the Lord like as we grow in a relationship with the Lord we can come to an understanding of like what pleases him and really appreciate that um, and really find strength actually in the fact that it's like what I give the Lord brings him so much joy like I was actually talking in our staff prayer time about how with little kids, I think one of the reasons we give do ridiculous things with little kids, do ridiculous things with little kids, because it's so easy to please them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It brings us so much joy to bring joy to someone else. G.K. Chesterton has a really great quote that I can't remember right now, but he essentially says that God is like a little child who delights in little things. I, I profoundly paraphrase, profoundly, G.K. Chesterton, like, Oh, man, he just, like, nails it, but I can't find it um, now. But, like, what if God is, like, delights so easily like a little child does? And if we could come to understand that in our own hearts, maybe we would find a lot more strength to give in more circumstances. Yeah, I've definitely had um, experiences in my life where, like, I'll be leading worship. And like, man, I don't feel like doing this. Or I'll be on a hike and I just get like, man, I don't feel like talking to God right now, or I don't feel like praising him for all this, because I'm like huffing and puffing up the mountain or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, you know, in both of those instances, it's about me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm making it all about me. I'm standing up there, I'm like, man, God, I just don't want to be here. I, 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 you know, there's just a lot of like, I in that statement. And, um, so I think if you are a Jesus follower and like really often you feel like you don't feel like worshiping, first of all, um, maybe share that with a mentor. But second of all, if you have a relationship with Jesus, I, I would hope for you that you would find some way um, to, to worship God um, and that basically what I hope for you is that you'd be able to get over yourself. <laughs> yeah. I think that's a hope for like everyone um, in, in worship in general, but just like in our relationship with God, it's, it's about there be, there's this prayer that there would be less of me, Lord, and more of you. Um, and uh 
Yeah. So I think if you are consistently feeling that, maybe especially in like a corporate worship setting, I would I would really highly suggest bringing it up in a one on one with your pastor. Um, another suggestion is like push through, like actually sing that song, even though you might not feel like singing the words or whatever. Um, but just kind of push through and try. Um, maybe you just like really don't like singing, but you're like, man, but okay, but this is like a carved out time to worship my Lord. How else can I worship him right now? Maybe it's saying a prayer. Um, maybe it's, uh, praising him in a different way. Um, so, but yeah, I think ultimately like worship isn't actually about feelings. And I Mm -hmm. think in our culture, especially now in worship culture, Trust me, I know quite a bit about it. I listened to Bethel and Hillsong and all this stuff. A specific song that was coming to mind, I don't remember exactly what song it is, but there's this one song. It might be a a recording of Graves Into Gardens where he's like saying, when you sing, prison walls shake, and when you sing, all this stuff happens. Um, And I just am like, the Lord can do amazing things through worship, but it's not about us. Worshiping is for the Lord's benefit. And I think it can have a benefit for us, but again, it's not like a transactional thing. So that's just me verbally processing at that point, but I hope it's helpful thoughts. But it's like, we want to elevate our emotions and we want to, everything's about like, do you feel like doing it? Like how, that's how everything yeah. is today. How do you feel like doing it? But what you're saying on it is like, actually like your will your volition is higher than that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right like there's yeah. something bigger than mm-hmm. like that's what your commitment is is mm-hmm. like your relationship with god is beyond it's mm-hmm. not at the whim of your emotions mm-hmm. it shouldn't be yeah. mm-hmm. and i would just say just a small thing kind of adding to what Anna said like if you are feeling those things it's okay to come and be honest about like those feelings with the Lord oh, 100%. too. Like, yeah. It's like, Lord, I just don't feel like worshiping today. Jesus did it in the Garden of Gethsemane. I'm just like, I'm really scared of doing this. Is it possible that this won't, cannot happen? It's not that you can't be honest about it. Mm-hmm. Like, please don't do that. Dishonesty is bad, especially with the Lord. Um, well, not especially with, well, it's just bad. Um, and so like, like, really don't cover that stuff up. Like the Lord wants you where you are, not yeah. like where you, what it looks like you should be, where it looks like you should be. Like he, he's honored by your worship in this space, the interior space that you're in. So. It reminds me of that song, right? It's from a psalm to like, bless the Lord on my soul. It's like, like, uh, you know, the song's like, it's, it, I mean, I think a lot of times we think about it as like emotionally, yeah, I want to bless the Lord of my soul. But actually, if you like really think about the song, it's like, hey, soul, get in line, like bless the Lord right now. Like it's almost mm-hmm. like telling himself like, mm-hmm. let's get straight. It's time to worship God. You know what I mean? It's like not, it's like mm-hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna make my emotions line up with what I need to be doing. Or mm-hmm. I'm going to, maybe I'm not going to mm-hmm. make them, but I'm going to get myself in a place mm-hmm. where... Yeah. It's a it's actually also that whole will thing. It's a very, very common thing amongst many Christian writers throughout history. Saint Ignatius of Loyola actually and Brother Lawrence both uh, comment that the will is the like the above the like the mind and the heart. Like it's the one that kind of steers the two. 
which our culture is like, no, like our emotions guide us or reason guide us, guides us. But he's like, no, your will, choose what you choose to do will guide the other things, what you choose to participate in. So, mm. so not that that's not challenging, admittedly, right. but. Right. Yeah. So last question really quick. Um, how can we become better worshipers or what can that look like? When I'm talking to people about how to grow in prayer, I usually say, like, they're like, I don't know if it was good prayer. I was like, well, was it honest and was it humble? Hmm. And I I really do think that that's, like, the metric for, like, good worship. It's like, I I was honest in this space and I was humble in this place, this space. I was honest, like, I felt great today and I brought that to the Lord and I submitted that before him. I felt terrible today. But I put that before the Lord, and I followed His direction. You know, it's it's. I I don't think it needs to sound good. Mm-hmm. I think it needs to just be honest and humble, and growing in honesty and humility is just very Christ-like. So, yeah, my suggestion would be to just read the Psalms. <laughs> I know a lot of pastors be like, oh yeah, start in the Psalms, start in the Psalms, but seriously. I feel like what Nathan was just saying um, was David who wrote the Psalms, right? Many of them. Many of them. He's like a master at that, just Mm. like laying it all out there. Um, And so I've noticed that reading the Psalms helps me kind of shape what my prayers can look like. Like, oh my gosh, Mm. I can actually be that vulnerable with God. Mm -hmm. I can actually share that about like oh my gosh, I feel like this person is my enemy and I really don't like them and I want them to like not Suffer. be doing okay. And yeah, like it's pretty real in David's Psalms. Anyway, yeah, seriously. Yeah. Which I'm not saying that's ever happened to me, but <laughs> um, but but then he, you know, there's just there's worship in there, there's there's just a laying down of his life. And so I think going back to what we were talking about in the beginning, that like God calls us to be with him and that's worship is when we say yes to being with God. Um, so, yeah. Any final thoughts on that? No, I think, I mean, the only thing, I th- it's just kind of returned to the thing earlier, just saying, like, I think just really trying to have this attitude of, like, you know, I'm just trying to cultivate a heart of just being thankful mm-hmm. to be able to approach the Lord. Mm-hmm. And if, you know, I, I call it like that spiritual fandom, kind of going back to that football analogy, like, man, what a gift it is to be able to worship God this way. What a gift it is to be able to have this forgiveness. And I think at the root of that is this, is the heart of a worshiper, you know, just to be close to God and to be thankful that I get to be close to God. And um, I think if we cultivate that heart, that you know, personally um, and also um, communally, that that's, that's really what the Lord wants from us is this deep down devotion, this deep down thankfulness. I was thinking about saying something about like, uh, before you worship, you should march around your church seven times and blow a trumpet, but. <laughs> Doesn't that usually result yeah, I decided, in you know, collapsing the building? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, so, and then I was like, well, that's not actually helpful at all. I can't. I was even trying to steer it around. How can I spiritually make that something like, 
I couldn't do it. <laughs> it's like a really bad idea. Well, that's it, I think. <laughs> well, I think that's it for today, friends. Thanks for joining us. Feel free to email me with any questions or topic ideas at Anna at OregonStateXA.com. And please know that we, as your Kyle campus pastors, are committed to helping you learn how to worship God well as you walk with him. So go ahead, unbuckle your seatbelts, and step out to see what God has in store for you. And remember, worship comes out of deep down devotion. Mm-hmm.